the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering Bible questions, church questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything that's on your heart. We need only that you call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number, one more time, is 340-9585. Well, while we await your phone calls, let's go right to some questions that have been sent in. This one's a little bit long, but let me do it from Bradley. He says, hey, Pastor Ron, my name is Bradley, and I'm from a small town named Norman Park, Georgia, and I was wondering how do I trust my significant other more? I've had a lot of trouble and trauma in the past and have been cheated on or left in every single other relationship I've ever been in. Then my mom and dad just divorced after 27 years because of infidelity, and so I have a very severe inability to trust, especially in a relationship, because I'm scared the other person is going to cheat and lie. So what do you recommend I do to stop worrying about if my girlfriend is cheating on me and just let go of the past and trust her? I'm really stuck on this and I need help bad because I do believe this is the one God put me on this earth to marry and I don't want to mess this up because of my own negligence. Um, Bradley, let me say first of all, I'm sorry for all of the pain that you've suffered and the fact that people have cheated on you. Uh, I, I can't read between the lines, but one of the things I can tell you is that if any of your past relationships involve sexual activity, then you've set yourself up for failure because you're out of God's will. Again, you don't make it specific whether or not that's the case. But, um, you know, as a Christian man, and I'm assuming you're listening to a Christian radio program, I'm assuming you're a Christian, uh, what you've got to do is you've got to honor the Lord with every relationship, with every relationship you have. Now, here's what you need to do, and this can take a lot of faith. Uh, hoping I'm wrong about the sexual activity. First Corinthians 13 tells us what love is. Love believes the best. Love always trusts. Love is patient. It's kind. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love is not self-seeking. All those things, Bradley, I'm sure you're familiar with the passage. I've been studying them for the last four weeks here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. So here's what you got to do. you got to say, Jesus, if you brought this girl into my life, then I'm going to trust her because I need to rightly represent you. 
And you got to realize, Bradley, that the enemy has been pushing those buttons, those old memory buttons, and um, you you can't respond to the lies from the enemy. Uh, you're just going to have to decide to be vulnerable. Paul is always telling the ladies here at church to uh, keep their uh, hands open, or their hands down and their hearts open. Uh, that makes you vulnerable. I understand that. However, remember that you're representing Jesus. And the way for you to deal with this is you and Jesus together. Honor him in this relationship. And then you leave the relationship in his hands. And what you're basically saying, Bradley, is, Lord, if this girl's not for me, take her out of my life. Jesus said, nevertheless, thy will, not my will be done. When he was asking for the, the cup of the cross, his crucifixion to pass from him. And certainly we can do that with human relationships. But, Bradley, I want to make sure... I'm grateful to hear from you from Georgia, but I want to be sure that you're honoring God in the relationship. And uh, if God brought some girl into your life, then you need to honor her as you're honoring God. And that means there has to be absolute sexual purity in the relationship. If you have been in the past dating girls who have been sexually active and you haven't, well, that's just God protecting you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to really honestly let the Spirit of God examine your heart. Bradley, if you are not a Christian, if you're not a born-again believer, then everything I told you makes no sense to you. And so now I'm going to tell you, you need Jesus. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. He wants to do it. He's already made provision for forgiveness. And if you want to walk in the middle of God's perfect will for your life, it's simple. Just be with Jesus, but you've got to be his first. So believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he was crucified for the sins of the world, including yours, that he didn't stay dead, he was risen on the third day, and that he's coming back again. Bradley, that's the, the one you can trust with all of your pain. And he'll help you. He understands what it's like to be betrayed. That's your issue. You've been betrayed. Jesus is the only one who really understands it. So, Bradley, I don't know how you heard about us in Georgia. I know our signal doesn't go that far. But God bless you and thank you very, very much for the call or the question. Let's go uh, back to an old friend, James, uh, from Belmont, Texas, on line one. James, thanks for holding your on the air. Oh, well, thanks for having me, Pastor Ron. Um, uh-huh. I had a question that uh, uh, that keeps popping up. It's a verse that I keep getting referred to, and and uh, I've, I fall way up, well short of being able to um, uh, apply this. So anyway, it's Second uh, Peter one twenty, where it talks about uh, knowing this verse, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. And I'm kind of in what I call the hills and dales, which means that I could lose you. So if I could listen um, off the phone, then that would be great. Okay. Okay. And what's your question about the, the, the that verse? Uh, can, can you explain that a little bit more to me? Uh, sure. Sure, I can. Thank you. And you just did lose you, so the timing is good. Let's get the uh, context of the, of the verse first. Um, P- Peter's talking about uh, th- that event. This, uh, Peter and John, their their whole lives were changed forever by the the, the incident they were privileged to walk on. Verse eighteen: We ourselves heard this. We were with him on that sacred map, and 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 he he's just justifying all the things that he said. And then he said, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain or more sure, the King James says, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. So what he's telling you here in that verse, James, is that true prophecy comes from God. God is the source. And not the person. Now, what it means is that 
all prophecy is going to be consistent with Scripture. Any prophecy, anybody that says, um, thus saith the Lord, and that is inconsistent with Scripture, well, that doesn't come from God. So no true prophecy of Scripture has any source other than God. Now, God has used human vessels in the past. But what Peter is saying very simply is that that the way to make sure you're hearing from the Lord, um, Peter says, I heard it with my own ears uh, when I was on that mountain. Um, the prophets, he's talking about the Old Testament prophets. He's not making reference to the New Testament prophets, although there were New Testament prophets uh, in the first century. Um, but he's saying those prophecies all had their source or the basis of of truth uh, because they came directly from God. And it is a warning, I think, James, for all of us um, to be really careful who we're listening to. So prophecy has to be consistent with Scripture, whether it's the gift of prophecy now or, or prophecy that came from the mouth of prophets. One other comment here, James, is that we know from Hebrews chapter 1 that in the past God spoke to his, the, the, the Jewish fathers uh, in many ways and at various times, but in these last days he's spoken to us in Son, or literally Jesus is the full and final word. We know that there are no prophets today. I think that might be where your confusion is. There's a lot of people that claim they are prophets, but there are no prophets today. The gift of prophecy is for today. But having the gift of prophecy does not make one a prophet. The prophets and the apostles of the foundation of the church is being built on, but that foundation in the language in Greek already has been laid. So in other words, when somebody, the easiest way to test a word of knowledge, a word of prophecy, or anybody who claims to be a prophet, just say, does that is that consistent with the already revealed word of God? Good question, James. Thank you very, very much. I love, absolutely love First Peter. One of my, the books I enjoy reading and teaching the most. Thank you for the question. Let's go to Victor from San Antonio on line two. Victor, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I have a My question pleasure, on. Uh, I had a question on the, the versions of the Bible. Uh, uh, I, uh, I I've been I was nurtured on the, the King James and and for for my uh, family I, I recommend the New King James. Uh, however, I, uh, I understand that uh, the the newer versions like the New American Standard are translated out of better manuscripts that were actually hundreds of years older than the manuscripts that the uh, that the King James were translated out of those uh, uh, Greek manuscripts that Texas Receptus on the New mm-hmm. on the New Testament anyway and so I was wondering right. if, if you recommend the, the new American standard uh, over the new King James for the younger people that uh, you know, and you know, I just wanted to see what your opinion. I know you recommend the 1984 NIV, but uh, yes. the other ones are are not that good, not recommended. So I'm thinking yeah. about uh, the New American Standard as a as a, an alternative uh, to be recommended. Well, I just wanted to know what your opinion is on that. I, I thank you, Victor. I can I can deal with that. You know, uh, I I have some really dear friends. One of my pastors, in fact, uh, among them, uh, who is an NASB guy and completely sold on it. He absolutely loves it. I've never been comfortable with it in the sense that it's just awkwardly translated to me. Um, it is a great translation. I'm just personally not comfortable with it. But but you have no problem uh, if you introduce them to that. I think, personally, um, I... I prefer the New King James Version versus the NASB. Um, As you said, I recommend always the 1984 NIV. It is also translated from the same set of of manuscripts that the NASB is, the Alexandrian transcripts. So really, Victor, it's a matter of what you're more comfortable with. Uh, We have this precious lady in our church, 
God bless her. She has made it her mission in life to find 1984 NIVs. And she's bringing a, a, a copy or two per week and handing them to Paul and say, okay, give these out to anyone who needs them. She's been so generous, but she's really uh, diligent in finding them. So you can find some 1984 NIV versions. I think for younger people, that reads more easily than the NASB. But the NASB is a great translation. It's just a matter of personal comfort, personal preference. And just for me personally, I'm much more comfortable with the New King James Version, uh, which is Texas Receptus, um, more so than I am with the others. Now, let me address one other thing. Uh, you you made the statement that that the NASB and the other newer versions come from a better set of manuscripts because they're older. I think that's a specious argument, um, uh, Victor, because uh, I, the fact that something is is a little bit older and and uh, two hundred years or three hundred years uh, older is a drop in the bucket, uh, according to you know in rel- in relation to to the history that we've lived. Um, and and when you see uh, in some of the uh, um, like newer translations, there'll be an explanation down at the end. They'll give you an alternative reading and they'll say some of the newer or older manuscripts have this. And they automatically assume, uh, and, and this is true of a lot of, of uh, educators, they, they assume that, that because it's older, it's better. And I simply don't find that to be the case. Um, I think the, the, the majority manuscripts, which the Texas Receptus were, um, um, they were trans- faithful translations of those manuscripts that were found. The Alexandrian manuscripts, which are a little bit older but were discovered a little bit later, um, uh, I think they're great manuscripts. And I think most of the Bibles are faithful trans- translations of those manuscripts. But there is absolutely no evidence at all to suggest that they're better or more authentic. So I, I think that's what you really have to decide. And, um, you know, the, 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 the human logic, well, it's older, so it was closer to the time it was written. That makes it better. I, I just don't think that is necessarily true. So um, uh, I, I, like you, I love the King James. Um, uh, I don't teach out of the King James because the language is awkward for a lot of people. Um, but um, uh, the new King James is readable. And um, I, I like the 1984 NIV, but the NASB is a fine translation, and you wouldn't have any problem with that at all. Thank you, Victor. Good questions. And I so appreciate your curiosity. Uh, you're a student, and I like that. That that shows a, a heart that uh, really wants to please the Lord. might even mean, Victor, that you have the gift of teaching. So uh, that's something to work on as you study your Bibles. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question I've been trying to dodge for a week. So this one is from Ted. He says, Pastor, I think the government is trying to control people with the vaccine. What should I do if vaccines become mandatory? Ted, I'm going to answer this question again. The government cannot control a Christian. Period. Don't worry about it. You know, in the in the last days, when in the great tribulation days, when the Antichrist really is trying to control everybody, real believers are going to stand firm. Now, it's going to cost them their lives, but, but they're not going to be controlled because the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. So the government can't try to control you. The other thing, Ted, and, and because you're, you're a Christian, I'm presuming, um, we Christians can't get caught up in these crazy conspiracy theories. So what if the government's trying to control you? So what? Jesus is the only one in control in your heart. So just let it rest. Don't get caught up in all of the things that you're reading about on the Internet. This is just say, Jesus, it doesn't matter what the government's trying to do. The only person in control in my life is you. And just leave it on that, with regard to what you should do if vaccines become mandatory, uh, I was having a discussion initiated by another pastor uh, yesterday and today, 
And uh, he was asking that same question. And, and I said, you know, if vaccines become mandatory, then as believers following our conscience, um, walking by faith, trusting Jesus, we're going to have to make the decision that is best for us. It's just that simple. But we also have to be willing when we are, and I don't equate this with real civil disobedience, but, but when we are opposing something that we're told is necessary for us to do and we're doing it based on the word of God or based on, on not violating our conscience, then we've got to be willing also to accept the consequences of that. You know, I'll give you an example. Our kids, um, uh, for years, our little ones have been going to the HEB camp. Uh, it's free, and we appreciate the work that HEB has been doing for years, providing um, uh, what turns out to be very affordable retreats, life-changing retreats for kids. This year, we had to cancel because they said that they would not serve unvaccinated kids. So we're not going to worry about HEB camp. And if, if there were alternatives, I probably wouldn't want to shop at HEB anymore. I just think that's a horrible business. And we certainly wouldn't let our kids be part of that. But, but you know what? I've got to accept the consequences. And that means we're going to have to pay in the future for our little kids, our younger kids, retreats. I'm willing to do that if that's what happens. So if you lose your job um, because they're mandating vaccines, you got to be willing to accept that. To sue somebody, take somebody to court, um, why would you do that? Just just express your civil disobedience, trust that God's got you, and leave it at that, and trust that he'll be there with you no matter what the result is. But Ted, please, 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 please stop reading so much on the Internet about all the conspiracy theories. Um, most of them are so crazy out there. And the other thing we need to remember is even if the government is trying to control the people, and in this regard, medically, they are. So what? Jesus is in your heart. Jesus is the one calling the shots. And remember, we can't get off message our message is Jesus Christ crucified, risen from the dead, and about to return. And if we're spending our time debating vaccines or debating masks or debating any other social or political issue, then we're the ones who have lost our way. And I think this is being used by the enemy to just cause Christians to be focused on the wrong things. In these last days, Paul said that we have to redeem the time because the days are short. We need to make the most of every opportunity. The only way we can do that is to be focused on Jesus, period. Make your decision prayerfully. Make it in faith. Don't violate your conscience. And if you will do that, then um, Jesus will be with you. It's that simple. Thank you, Ted. I appreciate it very much. Here's an anonymous question. I think we're inside just a few minutes here before this half is over. Uh, anonymous says, I am got three minutes, okay? Anonymous says, I'm presently dealing with a lot of anxiety and nearing depression. What is the right way to fight? Anonymous, you're in a fight for your life. Um, read, I don't know if you have a, a, a Bible study program. If you do, um, find all of the do not worry or do not be afraid passages. And read them, and all the while asking the Lord to speak to your heart very personally about this. You're in a fight for your life. The enemy wants you to be afraid. The enemy wants you anxious. The enemy wants you depressed, because if you get depressed, you're going to stop moving, and we're just a sitting duck for an enemy who wants to destroy us. So you have to fight in the Word. You've got to fight in prayer. You've got to fight by being with Jesus. I say all the time, just be with Jesus. Uh, in his presence is the fullness of joy. Uh, so you got to realize this is a fight. As you near depression, whatever nearing depression means to you, Anonymous, um, you got to realize that you got to get up every day and do what you don't feel like doing. you got to be um, disciplined enough. I don't feel like getting up and praying. I don't feel like getting up and reading my Bible. That's when you need to do it the most. 
I take a walk with Jesus. You know, I've been taking walks with Jesus. I've been laughing at Paula. Uh, I've been taking walks with Jesus for my whole Christian walk. And um, uh, in our new neighborhood, she's out walking around. And so she started walking in the mornings. And, and she's like a nut for it. I mean, that's great. But you see, you can't be depressed when you're out taking a walk with Jesus. We've had some really difficult things happen in the last few days. People's lives upended. And it means i got to get out and be with Jesus even more so. So get in the Word. Spend some time with Jesus. Be in his presence and do what you know you need to do, whether you feel like doing it or not. But the enemy is not going to lighten up on you, Anonymous. I wish I could say he would. He will have no mercy whatsoever on you. So fight. You've got to fight. And you do that by faith, believing the promises of God, remembering what he's done in your life and being grateful not for what you're anxious about but be grateful because he's the answer for all those things we have 30 minutes left in the Tuesday show 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR we'd love you to call we'll be back in two minutes To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program, 340-9585. Let's go to our friend Cindy on line one. Cindy, what's going around in your brain today? Oh, my goodness. I'm still not done with the millennium and the uh, marriage feast. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm curious about, okay, so now, all the people who were in the Old Testament that died and went to heaven, are they a part, I've got a couple questions, are they a part of the wedding feast, or do they come along later when when everything Mm -hmm. changes, heaven is, is forever heaven? And also, I'm really curious about if those people uh, who who were pre-Christ died and went to heaven, do they rule and reign in the millennium? And because and, I'm thinking that's going to be an awful if they do, that's an awful lot of people ruling and reigning on the planet. So that's that's what's been kind of it's going a big, around. It, <laughs> and and also, isn't okay, when we so were little? My, we're, we're in that same age group when they gave us shots when we were a kid. I know I screamed bloody murder when they were giving me mine, but wasn't that mandatory in the public schools to have the polio shot and the, I don't know what else they gave you, they gave you a slew of them. But I was just curious about that, but that has nothing to do with my real important question. So anyways, <laughs> okay. um, thank, tomorrow night. Thank you, Cindy. Okay. Uh, let me let me deal with the vaccine thing first. Yes, yes, they they told us to stand in line. My name started with an A, so I was always at the beginning of the line, and um, they didn't give us any choice about it. But yeah, they were mandatory. There's a huge, 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 huge difference between the vaccines that we were given uh, for those diseases um, and, and the vaccine that now we're all being asked to take. Um, the, the vaccines for polio, for whooping cough, for smallpox, for measles, for mumps, uh, chickenpox, um, all, all those vaccines worked. When you got the vaccine, you didn't get the disease. And that's not the case now. People who are getting vaccine, fully vaccinated people, are still in unbelievable numbers coming down with COVID. Now, they say that the the uh, symptoms are less. I hope that's true for all those people who are who are are having been vaccinated or are being diagnosed with COVID. But vaccination doesn't mean the same thing that it used to mean. Today, a vaccination is not to prevent the the illness. It's simply to control the symptoms, and that actually 
redefines vaccination or vaccine. Uh, and and I think I think the wool's sort of been pulled over our eyes on that. But but um, uh, yeah, I don't think we had a choice. And uh, I am the I am not anti-vax at all. I've been vaccinated for everything, uh, and my children were vaccinated for everything. So uh, I just think we've got to look critically at what this is. Let me answer the other question for you, Cindy. You remember when Jesus, um, between uh, his death and resurrection. Uh, he went down into um, uh, the abyss, the Luke chapter 16, that compartment where there was torment on one side and paradise on the other. Jesus told the the, uh, the thief on the cross that today you will be with me in paradise. When he went down into that place, Cindy, he took those captives in paradise and led them captive. And the word is a victorious kind of captive. He led them captive in his train to heaven. So yes, all of those uh, Old Testament saints, the people that were were um, uh, saved by faith uh, because they believed God's word, um, they are they're in heaven with Jesus. They'll be in heaven when we get there, and yes, they will rule and reign. You also remember in the Book of Revelation, uh, we've got uh, twenty-four lesser thrones. Jesus is seated on the exalted throne, and we've got twenty-four lesser thrones. And on 12 of those thrones are the patriarchs of Israel. The other 12 are the apostles. And um, they are uh, symbolic, representative of the presence of the entire um, uh, church, um, including Abraham and, and, and those like him from the Old Testament and the New Testament church. So they're all in heaven and yes, they will rule and reign. They will be at the wedding supper of the Lamb with us. And we'll get to talk to them. We'll be there with them. So, Cindy, uh, that's that's pretty simple. And you said, that's a lot of people ruling and reigning. This is a big planet. And they're going to be multiplied billions of people born in a redeemed earth um, uh, in a thousand years. Imagine how many how many people are going to be born in their flesh and blood bodies. So uh, we'll all have something to do. So thank you, Cindy. Appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to our friend from Seguin, Ruben, online too. Ruben, good to hear from you. Uh, God bless you, Pastor Ron. I pray that, it, that you are blessed and your wife is doing great and your children as well. Um, thank you. I, I'm calling today. I, uh, I, I'm calling. I need... I hate doing this because I just don't like, I don't like people thinking that I'm trying to make somebody feel sorry for me, but I need prayer, desperate prayer. Um, I mean, I have tremendous faith in God. You know that, you know that I have tremendous faith in God and it's getting to the point to where things are just getting tight. And, um, just, this is, a, this is it. Uh, I have a financial need with my rent, and it's it looks like it's not going to happen. And uh, that moratorium on evictions has 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 been lifted, so I'm struggling. So I need prayer that God will open up a door uh, with uh, somehow, some way, if that's okay, to pray for me. Mm-hmm. That God will open up a door. Of course it is. Can I ask you a question, Ruben? What is the, I don't yeah. know how the procedure on this. When the moratorium is lifted, do you just start paying rent again, or do you have to pay back all the back rent that you didn't have to pay? No, I just start paying the rent. Um, I went to the, uh, first I got, I went to a Texas Rent Relief. They helped me. And they helped me for about six okay. months. But uh, last month, for the last month, they helped me. And it just so happens that last month was the month that the moratorium lifted so now i have to pay it and um my dad was living with me so we were sharing the cost but now that he's in a nursing home i can't pay it all the light the water the trash and the rent the truck and the insurance i can't pay it all and uh okay i just you know so that's yeah two two things one will be praying for you, and I know a lot of other people. Well, I'm going to pray for you before you hang up. But can you give me an idea of what the immediate need is so I can pray specifically? 550. It's just okay. one month. It's Let's just, pray. 
Let's okay. let, let's pray. Jesus, I lift Reuben to you and I lift the financial need. So many have been hurt, Lord, by by the things that have gone on in this economy over the last 19, 20 months now. And, and um, Reuben loves you, God. He's trusted you. And I'm asking you, Jesus, to deliver for him um, what he needs. Tomorrow, September 1st, rent is due. God, we ask you to find a way to provide for him. We know you can do it, Lord. Money is nothing for you. It's a big deal to us, but it's nothing for you. So take our friend, Lord, and provide, we pray, for your glory. Amen. Reuben, I want you to stay in the line for a moment. My producer is going to get a, a phone number for you. Thank you. Okay. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Um, let's go to a question sent in by Daniel. He says, Daniel, I love this question. Pastor Ron, with COVID, fires, and hurricanes, do you think the world will ever repent and ask God for forgiveness? You know, Daniel, you'd think the world would, huh? You would think the world would. I was just reading a news article that said the the, uh, the Northern California fire that has been so destructive is now uh, causing thousands of people to be evacuated uh, in, in in Lake Tahoe area. And, and, you know, that's a pristine forest area. And, um, you know, they, they've been pretty untouched by this kind of thing. Um, hurricane, uh, I, I just read another news story that said the hurricane uh, this past week in Louisiana was worse than Katrina was uh, because it was more widespread um, with pestilence, uh, fires, hurricanes, earthquakes. Uh, you think the world would would be shaken out of the sinful stupor that we're in and, and plead with God for forgiveness. But the world's not going to do that, Daniel. In fact, we're told in the New Testament that things are going to get go from bad to worse, to much worse, uh, because the, the hardness of man's heart is only getting harder. And Daniel, I, I want to be clear here to everybody, you and to everybody else listening, um, you know, these are not plagues from God. These are natural events that are happening. Um, there's been a lot of mismanagement of our forestry, and all that has consequences. But the increasing frequency of these things, while not plagues from God, I want to emphasize that. Um, with these things increasing in frequency, I think it's time for the world to look to the heavens and say, We've angered you. Please forgive us. But Israel didn't do that when prophet after prophet warned of captivity. The world's not going to do that now. And I think things are going to get worse. And what we've got to do is just, we who are believers, we've got to share Jesus with people. But no, I don't think they are because we're at the end times and Paul said to Timothy, mark this in the last days, meaning the last last days, the time we're in, there will be perilous times. That's the King James Version. Terrible times in the NIV. Uh, and they mean perilous. Um, we will not turn from the sin of homosexuality for or the approval of it. We will not turn from the sin of pretending that boys can be girls and girls can be boys. We simply will not turn. Much of the professing Christian church, now describing themselves as progressive, have completely turned away from the Word of God. And I think we're in the falling away, Daniel, that signifies the very, very end. And the rapture of the church is going to be our relief. I don't think there's going to be any relief for the world. Now, I hope and I pray, Daniel, and I'm sure this is true for you, that there will be one more move of God's Spirit in the world. But when you look at the world and, and the things that are happening, I'm not talking about just in North America, I'm talking about the world, and you see the things that are happening, the floods and and, and the, the, the strange weather. This isn't global warming. This isn't climate change. This is This is the end of God preparing us for the very last days. We, we ought to look up. And unfortunately, Daniel, it doesn't appear that we're anywhere close to doing that. But we can pray, and we should, and I'm 
trusting we will. Here is, let's go to a call. Got, got Ray on line one. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, Hi, Ray. Pertains to the caller that you were praying for, and it and it mm -hmm. just came to my mind um, <clears throat> that uh, your 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 school principal had quite a story when his window was partially open <laughs> and driving and and I think you probably remember what I'm talking about and I thought maybe I do. that would that would shed some light on uh, not knowing how it's going to happen but do, do you remember yeah I don't remember all the details but I know it was a miraculous deliverance of some money that was needed it was paperwork paper yeah yeah, paper. I remember that. Okay. Paper flew in, so, yeah. Yeah, I just thought that would be kind of cool to relate. Thank you, Ray. Appreciate it. 340-9585. You know, we've all got those stories. I told the story of the church that uh, when Paul and I were first here, um, when it looked like God, like there was nothing happening. I mean, we knew we were supposed to come out. We knew we were going to start a church. Um, but in those days of testing, and they never stopped, by the way, the days of testing. But in those days of testing, uh, we had no money. I mean, zero. Um, you know, I'm the one that lost our fortune. I'm the one. I, I, it's my fault. But we had no money. And we were completely dependent on God. I remember one morning in particular, I got up especially early. I always remark, I don't know why you get up extra early when you're extra hungry. It'd be better to sleep at all. But um, I just went out and took a walk with Jesus. And right across the street from us, it was a, uh, the apartment we lived in was a, an old HEB, one of the smaller ones. And so just walking, and I'm just thinking, you know, Lord, we don't have any money. We, our, our pennies were gone. Our, there just wasn't anything. And, um, Lord, it's early, and all I can think about is food. I'm so sorry, Lord. Help me get my mind on things above kind of thing. And then I just said, Lord, you know our needs. We, we need food to eat today. And I remember just stopping in the middle of the parking lot. It was early, and there was hardly anybody at the store. And uh, I just looked up heaven and I said, God, please forgive me. And I looked down and a gust of wind blew a $10 bill <laughs> at my feet. I mean, literally a $10 bill came and just stopped right at my feet. And so I took the $10. Now, I went into the HEB and I said, has anybody reported losing $10? And and uh, she said, no, we haven't anybody. I said, well, well, here's my name. If anybody does, you know, they can call me. And uh, and I went home, uh, ran right back across the street to the apartment. I said, Paula, $10 just blew up my feet. We got $10. We can eat. And she said, no, it didn't. And, and so just we've all got those stories. And, and Pastor Will, the principal of our school, had one of those stories. That's the one that Ray was talking to. I wish I remembered all the details, but... But um, it was a, a better story than my $10 because it involved more money than that. So thank you, Ray. I, I enjoy remembering those things. Here is a question from Wade. He says, people who don't tithe are under a curse from Malachi. Is that still true in the New Testament? Um, Wade, the answer is no. Uh, we're under curse. We've been redeemed from any and all curses. Um, and tithing is not required for New Testament Christians. Uh, the curse came from Israel's behavior. They were stealing from God. They were taking care of their own needs and avoiding their responsibilities under the law. But I want to say this as clearly as I can, Wade. Tithing is not a New Testament principle. Tithing is a law. It means a tenth. And it's not a New Testament principle. We, we who are saved under grace, we owe a lot more than 10%. And we should give with a cheerful heart. We should give because we're grateful that God gave everything for us. But there are no curses at all. Now, there is a 
spiritual principle of sowing and reaping. If we're stingy, God's going to deal with us stingily because he wants to teach us to be generous. Proverbs 11 says that, verse 25 says that uh, a generous man himself will be blessed by God. We all want to be blessed by God. Now, that's not why we give. That's not why we're generous. We do it because God was so generous with us. It's just a principle. And Wade, you need to give. You need to give cheerfully, hilariously is the literal translation uh, from from Paul's writings to the Corinthians. Um, and then just know that God is going to provide what you need. So that's what you need to do. So understand, Wade, we are not under the law. The law didn't work. So Jesus initiated a new covenant, and it says nothing whatsoever about giving a tenth. Should we give? Yeah, but we should give everything. You see, in the Old Testament, 10% of our stuff went to God. In the New Testament, 100% of what we have belongs to God. And if we pray and we walk by faith, God will let us know what he wants us to do with his stuff. And if we're a good steward, we get blessed. That's just the way it is. Thank you, Wade. Appreciate the question. Anonymous says, is it okay for Christians to see a therapist or is it sin being a lack of faith? Uh, Anonymous, of course, it's okay for Christians to see a therapist. Now, here's the difficulty and and here's where I'm going to uh, do my best to to make it make sense to you. Um, I don't think any Christian ought to go to a therapist that isn't a Christian who uses the Bible as his or her authority. That's very important. Uh, we go see therapists that are he's in psychology or psychiatry, and that's a little bit beyond just normal therapy. But but um, you know, the, every one of those people, they're godless. They start out what they do with the with the premise that there is no God, and they would see the things of faith as foolishness. While we see things from God as like our bread of life, living water. So I think it is confusing, dangerous, and unproductive to go to a therapist who is not going to counsel you from the Word of God. Thank the Lord there are wonderful Christian counselors. Uh, And I don't mean Christian in that they say, well, let's pray, and they'll throw a Bible verse or two. But I mean, actually let the Word of God formulate the foundation from which they counsel. And that's really important. So yes, it's okay for Christians to see that kind of a therapist, but it is dangerous, confusing for Christians to see ungodly counselors, psychologists, or psychiatrists. Hope that makes sense to you. You know, it always amazes me that instead of, in, in our time of need, when, when we're crying out for therapy, we're in a time of need, that we would turn to anyone but the Lord. And the Bible has everything that we need. Everything that we need to live the fruitful, abundant life that Jesus wants for us. So, Anonymous, hope that helps. We are now inside four minutes, I think. So, Seth says, we just hit three minutes, okay. Seth says, Pastor Ron, do you think it's possible to be 100% sure that Christianity in the Bible is true. Yeah, Seth, I do think it's possible because I'm 100% sure. And I'm just one person. It's an example. I've never had, I'm saved over 30 years now, I've never had a single moment's doubt about my salvation. Um, um, at the very beginning when I was saved, I had lots of doubts about the Bible because I wasn't raised in church. I didn't know anything about the Bible. And I didn't understand how a book that was written by men could also be written by God. I simply didn't have the foundation to, to understand that yet. Um, but but in seeking what's true, I got all the answers I needed. And I came away from that 100% certain that the Bible is also true. So yes, it's possible. Now, young Christians... 
uh, are certainly going to have doubt. And that's not sin. Um, it's not unbelief. Uh, I just think if you're honest in dealing with your doubts, you're looking to find the answers. And Seth, when you find those answers, you've got to hold on to them for dear life and never let them go. I'm stubborn enough, and I, I, I'm, I mean this in a good way, I'm stubborn enough to hold on to that which I know is true and not be shaken by something I'm not sure is true. And so I think not only is it possible, I think God wants you to do that. The entire book of First John is written so that you may know that you belong to Christ, that you may know you're saved. And uh, I think it honors the Lord when we say, this is what I, doesn't matter how I feel, doesn't matter what's going on, this is what I know. Jesus loves me, this I know, the Bible tells me so. That's where we begin. But then as we dig into the Word of God, then we get just a little bit deeper foundation. Our roots grow deeper because we get to see Jesus move in and through our lives. So, Seth, I want you, Jesus wants you to be 100% certain. And I think what you've got to do is you've got to be honest enough to really deal with your doubts by checking them out. I had all kinds of questions, and, and uh, when those questions got answered, I no longer had any doubts. And I'm not going to let the enemy of my soul or anybody who thinks they're smarter than Jesus try to shake me from that. So, thank you for the question, Seth. Well, that does it for today's program. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Ron Arbaugh. I have the privilege of being the pastor at Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back here tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.